Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. And now a message from Pastor Tim Brooks. I want to welcome you to part three of this series that we are in, Wilderness to Blessings. We've been talking about how Jesus set us free, but so few ever really live in all that he provided for us. And we've been comparing events in the Old Testament that happened in these people's natural life that illustrate for us spiritual truth of our salvation and our life here on earth after salvation. The question that we continue to ask in each one of these lessons is, will you march through life as a conqueror or will you meander through life as a wanderer? Each week, I just I have to fight the tendency to want to go back and reteach what we've already covered. And I just can't. We, we got to move forward. We just got to keep going on. And I, I encourage you, if you missed part one or part two, go back and listen to those podcasts so you can stay up. But we're going to have to move right along. I've got so much that I want to look at. Turn to Joshua chapter two. We, we all hear, and, and we, we hear this, and we even say it, how terrible the world is right now. Things are awful, morally our world is unraveling, it's just, it's terrible, it's awful, it's just, it's appalling what's happening, uh, it's just never been this bad. Well, okay, well hold on just a second. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, there's been an attack on the lifestyle that God has called us to live. And, and, and ever since Genesis chapter 3, there is an all-out attack on the lifestyle that we're supposed to live. While things are really, really bad right now, and y'all hear me say this all the time, you can at least be thankful that we are going to arenas and watching football or baseball for entertainment. Because there was a time that we went to arenas, threw people out in the arena, barricaded the doors, and turned lines out there And everybody applauded and laughed and clapped and cheered as the lions killed and mauled and ate all the people. So things are bad, but let's just don't say they've never been this bad. Because in 1400 B.C., Joshua was facing a culture that had child sacrifice was a daily practice. Uh, Homosexuality was so widespread it was incalculable. Idolatry, witchcraft... Uh, and, and no one was taking a stand for God in these tribes, nations, people, groups. So yes, things are not good right now. And I'm not saying that they are good. But we're not having child sacrifice. Uh, we're not eating our children. We're, 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 the homosexuality isn't like it has been in the past. And Joshua was commanded... To conquer the land. He was commanded to fight for every square inch of it. And that's us today. We can't give up. The war, I tell you, Tim, it's just too far gone. I'm just pulling out, pulling back, throwing in the towel. Just to heck with all of it. 
Uh, that, that can't be our stand. We got to fight. We have to fight, and we've got to fight the forces of hell, darkness. We got to fight the forces of demonic activity, and we continue to fight and push back, and continue to fight and push back. And throughout the history of mankind, things get bad and revival happens. Things get bad and revival happens. Just read the book of Judges. It just over, things get bad and revival happens. It's not going, we're not going to lose, we're going to win. We're on the winning side and I'm not just so taken by how bad the world is that I'm giving up, we just keep on fighting because we're going to see the demonic forces pushed back and we're going to see God's hand back in our society. The important verse that we got to see is God was with Joshua. God, God promised to be with Joshua every step of the way. God gave Joshua the land. Yet, he tells Joshua to go in and scout it out. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, we read that Joshua sent spies in to scout out the land exactly like Moses had sent spies in to scout out the land. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 gives us the reason for this. It says, so Satan will not outsmart us, we will be familiar with his schemes. When you know what the devil is going to do, then you can read, more readily see him coming to you. Wait, oh, that looks so fun. Hold on, I recognize that's the devil. Hold on, hey Tim, you want to go? No, I recognize that is the devil and he's luring me back into a past life or into a past problem. And Whoa, whoa, see we've got, come on, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says we've got to go in, spy out the land, recognize the schemes of the devil so it doesn't outsmart us. The spies, and, I, and I've, I've heard this question that there must have been a lack of faith on Joshua and Moses' part, why did he send the spies in to spy out the land that God had already given them? The spies going in was not a lack of faith. It was to keep us from ignorance. Be wise. Let's go in and see. Let's look and see where the cities are fortified. Let's know where the walls are. Let's understand the schemes of the enemy. Then let's come back Get ready, and then we're going to go in and fight. It's sad, but so many Christians that I see living a life of faith know you're ignorant. And you're letting the devil just run over you. Living a life of faith is not living a life of ignorance. A life of faith is not ignorant to the situation. Go scout it out. Be familiar with the schemes of the enemy. Now, we have to see that. Right, Joshua chapter 2. The spies were sent in, and we touched on this in our last lesson, but they, they, they met Rahab. God was already at work before the battle starts. God's already at work here before the spies even get there. Joshua chapter 2. Turn to Joshua chapter 2, not numbers where I am. Okay, good. This looks better. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. Verse 9. 
I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Uh, I, w- I want you to live knowing this. The enemy is afraid of you. Now, I want you to understand this. See, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the, they were Joshua's enemy here, and they were all afraid. I want you to know Satan is well aware that the blessings of Abraham have been given to his seed, that's you and me. He's well aware of that. Satan, Satan has a very clear view of Calvary. He's painfully aware the curse has been broken. So we are fighting a defeated, afraid, whipped enemy. Now you got to know that in your daily life. When problems come against you, you got to know those problems are more afraid of me than I am of them. Now we got to live understanding that. All right, let's move on to verse 11. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is supreme God of heaven above the earth and, and below. All right, now, now you've got to understand this. Faith is seen in every part of our being. And in Joshua chapter 8, uh, Joshua chapter 2, 8 through 11. Well, I just want to read this again. Let's, let's get this in our mind. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Verse 10, get this. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you have done to Sion, Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Verse 11. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. See, Rahab is a mouthful here. We've heard. We've heard. We know the Lord is your God. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Rahab had heard all the miracles. Rahab had seen what God had done. They, all the people knew. See, they had been hearing about what has happened through these group of people as they left Egypt. They were well aware of that. Rahab had heard. Hold your place. Flip over to Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. Now, I want you to underline this. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us, so don't be afraid of them. The enemy's protection is removed. You'll remember, we don't have time, but the story of David and Goliath. David was appalled at everybody hunkering down in the foxhole. And, and remember what he said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taught the armies of God? See, David understood this guy, God's not on his side. God's on my side. See, we got to understand, God's not on the devil's side in your day. He's on my side. God's not on, this attack that's coming against you, 
God's not on that side. God's not on that side. God is on my side. So we go back to Joshua 2, verse 14. Joshua 2, verse 14. The spies tell Rahab. Now listen to the wording. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you. Underline this word. When the Lord gives us this land. See, there's no doubt in their mind. I'm going to be blessed. And when that happens, well, I hope, well, I hope we can work it out. Well, I hope they don't kill us all. Well, Rahab, we'll take care of you if, if we don't get wiped out. No, we're going to take care of you when God gives us this land. That's the attitude and the outlook that we live our daily lives with. That's where we live. When God gives me victory over my health right now, when God gives me victory over this financial problem, when God gives me victory over this sickness, when God gives me victory, see, we work from that position, not, well, I just hope we make it through. We're going to make it through, and when this happens, here's what we're going to do. Let's read on, verse 15. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days for the men searching for you. Then they, when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. Wow. Now listen to this. Verse 18. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope. Hanging from the window through which you let us down. All your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your relatives must be here inside the house. Now, if they go out in the street and are killed, it'll not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we're going to accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Does that remind you of a story? Anything? What about the red blood on the doorpost? The angel of death passed over the doorpost that had the red applied. Here we've got another type in the shadow, that scarlet rope. When we see that red rope, death will pass over when we see the blood of Jesus. You see how he's getting us ready for the coming of the new covenant, right here is the type in shadow. That scarlet rope hanging from that window, the blood on the doorpost in Exodus, all is a picture of Jesus' blood and death passing over us, and we live an eternal life with him. In Joshua chapter 3, we see Israel preparing to cross the Jordan. Now, we have to identify the obstacle that exists between you and the fulfillment of God's promise. What is it? Let's go spy it out. Let's see it. Let's identify it. A quote I read years ago, and I don't even know who said it or where it came from, but it wasn't me that said it. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities disguised as impossible situations. We're all, I mean, I love this. We're all faced with a series of great opportunities 
But they're all disguised by, oh, this is impossible. Oh, this will never work. They're disguised by impossible situations. Everyone at some point comes to your Jordan. Now, you got a choice. You're going to cross that Jordan. You're going to fight and possess it. Or you're going to die in the wilderness going around the same mountain over and over again. So for us to move from wilderness living into blessings living, first, there must be a spine out. Second, there's got to be an identifying of the obstacle. What's keeping you from being blessed? You're going to have to identify alcohol is keeping you from being blessed. You're going to have to identify it. You're going to have to spy it out. You're going to, what is keeping you from being blessed? You're going to have to identify laziness. What's keeping you from being blessed? You're going to have to spy it out and identify your irresponsibility is keeping. See, everybody's got a Jordan, no matter what it is. Every, and now, we're going to have to cross that Jordan. We're going to have to spy out what is keeping me from being blessed. See, I, I, impatience is wrecking your day. And that's keeping you jerked. Every day you're jerked up. Every day your temper is keeping you jerked up. What's keeping you from living happy and blessed? Man, I just had a great day today. What keeps you from saying that every day? Your anger. Your frustration with people. Have you noticed? You think it's only today. It's only been every day of your life for the past 20 years. You come in. Man, I had a rough day today. Man, I... Until you identify your temper, your anger, your impatience, until you identify what it is, you're going to continue to be kept in the wilderness. Third, now we've identified, we're going to cross in and fight it, and we're going to fight until we possess it. I, I, I will live to be patient. Now, one day, somehow, some way, I will whip impatience out of my life. I'm crossing over, and I'm going to defeat this thing. I'm going, I will whip my temper. And it shocks me how quick it flares up. I was having a great day yesterday. A great day yesterday. I pulled, you know those streets that go into Lowe's? They measured the size of my truck, and they made them a foot more narrow than my truck is. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then just about the time you get the wheels rolling is another speed bump. They think in that little trail you're going to go 90. Well, I got these speed bumps. Here was this guy who was coming down, and he was going about one mile an hour. He was negotiating a speed bump. He was way up there. I pulled out, got over the other lane, and I started up. I had already crossed the lane over in the other lane and was going up. Boy, he came by me giving me some hand signals. day. You ain't going to believe this. I stomped my brake. I jammed that in park and I opened my door. And I closed that door. I thought, that guy may be seven foot seven. You better get your tail back in this truck. I'm, I'm just I'm jerked. I'm fixing to get out right there in the middle of that street now. Then what? Then my, my temper just are you kidding me? I was climbing out of my truck. Why didn't I just wave and have a good day back? I didn't have to use all the signals he was using. 
But see, I'm going to have to defeat that if I'm going to live happy and blessed. So I've got to, i got to stop letting that temper hit me so quick. See, I've crossed over. I've spied it out. I've identified. Here's my fortified city. Now, i got to whip that thing in my life. And that's what, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Early the next morning, Josh and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove, and they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant with the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer, but you keep your eye. Okay, three steps to crossing that he explains right here. Number one, prepare your heart. Verse five, Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. First thing you got to do is purify your heart. If the Israelites were going to expect the Lord to fight for them, sin's got to be put away. Now, we're just talking here. The reason our obstacles look so big, the, the reason we get in fear so quick over a bad doctor's report or over whatever. The reason we let fear hit us so quick is we're not right with God and we know it. You've got some sin in your life. You've got some sin on your computer. You've got some sin in your life. So when an obstacle comes up, you, God, could, could you pitch in and help me a little? See, look. If we're going to go fight this thing, purify your hearts. Let's everybody get right with God. Confess your sins. Let's get forgiven. And let's get our heart right before God before we go into the battle. I want to know going into the battle that I'm right with God. I want to know that. And if you're not, get that way. You need to get that way. Every morning when you leave the house, make sure you're right with God. You get that way. Get your heart right with God. Number one, purify your heart. Number two, chapter three, verse three, you follow that ark. You focus your eyes. See, the ark was God's presence. Y'all know that. The ark was God's presence. Here's what you do. You've never been this way before, so you follow God. You follow God. God, my eyes are on you. And I am following you through this business deal. God, my eyes are on you. And I'm following you through this employee interview. Don't let me hire somebody that's going to come in and wreck my place. Here, God. I'm, I, Lord, see, I don't know what to do here. My eyes are on you. You follow God. You put your eyes on God and you follow him. Then number three. Chapter three, verse eight. Chapter 3, give this command to the priest who carried the Ark of Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan, take a few steps into the river. Verse 13, 
The priest will carry the ark of the Lord as soon as their feet touch the water. The flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will be stand up like a wall. You got to walk. You got to walk. See, we want to sit on our blessed assurance and let God part the water. Then I'll go through. See, I'm going to stay right here. God, you bring in money and then I'll. See, God, when you do, see, God, you, no, 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 no. You get up and you start walking. You get up and you start walking. You start going knocking on doors. You go and send applications and you put them out all over town. You get up and start walking. Whenever you get up and start walking and you step into that obstacle, then God comes in. But you're going to have to get up and walk. You can't sit there and wait for God to do something. Chapter 3, verse 14. Oh, I love this stuff. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's bank. I want everybody looking at this. I want you to see in this verse 16. The water above that point began backing up. The water backed up a great distance away to a town called Adam. Oh, you can't believe what I'm fixing to show you. That water backed up to a town called Adam. Okay, when their feet stepped in, our lesson here is we can't sit and wait Miracles happen in our life as you get up and walk and move forward. Everything we're seeing here in the Old Testament is a natural course of events to show us what happens in the realm of the Spirit. Are you seeing this? See, this is just a natural course of events, and it's teaching us what happens in the realm of the Spirit. Psalms 40, verse 7, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Okay, are you ready to see this? I can tell you, you're not. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men from each tribe. Tell them to take twelve stones to the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out. And pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go to the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick a stone and carry it out on your shoulders. Now we're out in the middle of a dry riverbed. Are you following me here? 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one from each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua, 
they carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed a memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they're there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the Ark of the Lord as the people watched. Several things here. When did the water back up? Okay, the answer is, open book test, when their feet stepped in. Okay, we're not going to sit and wait on God. We're going to get out here and start walking. And then miracles will happen in our life. Here's where we are. Interesting. Verse 9. We piled rocks in the middle of the Jordan. Chapter 2, verse 16. The water backed up. All the way to, huh? A town called Adam. John chapter 1, verse 28. Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized. In verse 28, John was baptizing in the Jordan at a place called, in the King James Version, says Beth Abarah which means the place of crossing. Beth Abarah means the place of crossing. So when Jesus went out to be baptized by John, he was, he was standing on that pile of rocks. You, you're not ready for this yet. When John baptized Jesus. He was standing on that pile of rocks. And he covered sin all the way back to. Can you believe? I mean, this is just too good. To... When Jesus stood on that pile of rocks, he covered sin. Well, well, just hold your place. Go to Romans chapter 6. You don't have to believe me. I'll just read it to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we may live new lives. Okay, chapter 5, verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live triumphed over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. When Jesus walked out in that Jordan to be baptized, he stood on those rocks, and the picture that we have is of the Jordan backing all the way up to a town called Adam, letting us know that when Jesus stood on those rocks, 
our sins, we're going to be forgiven all the way back to Adam. I, I, I love this Old Testament now. <laughs> I love what this thing reveals to us about the new covenant. Okay, we've got to move on. We, I, I can't stay there. That, that was good. We've got to move on. All right, where am I? Joshua chapter 4. Go back to Joshua chapter 4, verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he chosen, one from each tribe of Israel. He told them, go in the middle of Jordan in front of the ark of your Lord. Each of you pick up a stone, carry it out on your shoulders, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribe of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial in the future. Your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Church, we need memorials in our life. We have to have them. Hold your place. Genesis chapter 12. Let's just real quick. Let me read some of this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land of your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. After that, Abram traveled south, set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west, Ai to the east. There he built another altar, and he dedicated it to the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 1. Abram left Egypt. He traveled in the Gap. Then he built an altar. Verse 17. Abram settled in the land, and he built an altar. I'm, I, we could just go all through the Old Testament with Abraham and look at he built an altar. He built an altar. Abraham built an altar. Now Joshua, chapter 4, verse 21. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children's going to ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were crossed, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. We, we have to have altars in our life. And, 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 and we, we go back and say, this is when God did. When I was 18 years old, God miraculously saved my, when I was 32 years old, can you remember a certain time or three or four times in your life when you were in a real mess and God supernaturally, you didn't even know God, you was a heathen, but you look back and God supernaturally had his hand Boy, and I remember when I was 42. Well, I remember when I was 48, something, I was in a car wreck. And God just super, come on, wave your hand. See, yeah, I, I can tell you I was dead on the hospital, and I, I was gone. And God just not yet, and I came back to, come on, we've got those altar experiences where I can go back and I can tell you God did this for me. See, church, there are things in your life that are only settled at an altar. 
They're, they're only settled at an altar. Counseling's not going to do it. Studying won't do it. Church attendance won't do it. You got to know what God said to you. It's what we call an altar experience. And we built an altar there. Terry and I were getting married. And in our wedding ceremony, we were going to take communion together. And we knelt down on that stage to take communion. And as clear as clear as I'm hearing right now, I heard God speak to me. She's the one I have for you. You did the right thing. That's an altar experience because there had been times after that that we wanted to quit. We wanted to break up. There were times that our marriage was ready to dissolve. There was time. And, but see, the problem was I had an altar experience. See, I had, see, the reason I didn't backslide, the reason I didn't throw in the towel is I had it at 18, at 27. See, at 32, you go, I had an experience. I had an altar experience and I can tell my kids about it. You got to know this. There is a pile of rocks. Joshua, flip over, chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22, verse uh, 26. So we decided to build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifice, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. Let me tell you something. I got claim to the Lord. I've got claim to the Lord. I can tell you what he did in my life. I can tell you some times and experiences where God supernaturally, miraculously moved on me. You can't tell me there's no God. You can't tell me this Christianity thing is a fake. Somebody just sucked you into something because I have points in my life that I can point to. Now, how do you build altars? Well, you got to take hard things in your life. You take hard things in your life and you arrange them before the Lord. Rocks are made from heat and pressure. Counselors can't, they, counselors can analyze your hard things. A friend can help you move hard things. Books can help you understand hard things. But when you pile them up before God and you use them as a reminder, you receive power and direction from your life every time you pass that altar. Altar is where God has moved in your life. It's not a sermon you heard, but an altar for you is a place and a time when God moved in your life. And I'll remind you of that. I'll remind you of that. I'll take you back to it. Here's a place and a time God moved in my life. And you don't forget what God did. You don't forget what God did because I can take you back to this point. See, God's not an idea that I've been talked into so you can now talk me out of. See, you, you can't talk me out of my faith 
because I've had too many hard things in my life that God has seen me through. I have way too many hard things in my life that God has seen me through. And so you can't talk me out of my faith to move from wilderness living to living blessed. You've got to have a pile of rocks in your life. Here's where God made a way for me in my past. And every time life happens now for me, oh, Tim, what are we going to do? I can tell you this. God saw me through here. God saw me through here. And God will see me through this. Oh, Tim, this is terrible. This is bad. Somebody run in my office. This is terrible. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Has God ever seen you through something in your life? Well, yeah, wait. Has God ever seen you through something in your life? Yeah, he has. He'll see you through this. He will see you through this. You go back and remind yourself of what God has done for you in your past. And it will give you the faith to get through what you're facing right now. Every time when life happens, you go back to your altar and you remember what God did for you. And only then can you live your life not in the wilderness, but you can live your life in blessings. Y'all stand. Lord, thank you for time and time and time again seeing us through. Thank you for seeing us through. And Lord, we go back and remember, we have those altars, those pile of rocks, the hard things that we've been through. We pile those up and as we look at them, and we look at them, and we look at them, it reminds us that you have seen us through, you have seen us through, and you will see me through this situation that we're facing right now. We honor you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.